God damn, I can't believe that. All right. You can't believe, believe it? Believe it. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. I'm your qualified, certified West Side host, Steve Lucky Luciano. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into the greatest show on earth. It's the Hard Luck Show. Coming at you from the bunker in Southern California. Sitting on my left, my co-host and my partner, True Mahan Bowen, American mm. Indian, Southern mm. Californian, elegant barbarian. Yeah. Here to cause controversy once again. If you stick it to the man, Yaxi Yah. If you die for your people, Yaxi Yah. If you see it through the evil, Yaxi Yah. Come on. Let's get tribal up in here. Let's get tribal. Come on. Let's fucking scoop somebody right now. Let's fucking boil some people. Let's fucking boil them. Turn them upside down and build a fire under their head. Yeah. I don't even understand them when it's. And on sound, oh, Blue Eyes himself, Sean Lewis. Oh, oh shit. Certified. Oh, shit. I'm a Uh-uh. Engineer. Uh. Come on. For the hard luck show, baby. Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. The man after my own heart. Come on. You'll put David Bowie on every intro and I'd be happy about it. Come on. Hey, Special K, what you know about David Bowie? What you know about David Bowie? I do. I, yeah. Yeah. I do know about you. I do know Bowie. about David Come on. Damn right. You do. I'm a smart. We'll just let this smart for a second. Yeah, come on. All right, you know. All right, and, and we got our fantastic intern, Gen X, Gen, Gen Z. Z, Gen Z. Yeah, Gen Z. I think yeah. me and him are Gen X. Yeah, you got. Yeah, Gen we're, X. we're we're Gen X. Gen Z, our intern, Special K. Welcome to the show, Special K. Woo, hello. Woo, woo, hello. <laughs> woo, hello. We have some, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah. What's Woo, that's the mood right there. Yeah, that's Special K. Okay, hey, Special K. Yes. Derizzle. Yeah. By the way, before we get into everything, uh, one of our listeners cracked a code for Derizzle. It was for Dora the Explorer. That was Special K's nickname as a kid, Dora the Explorer. Is that right, Special K? Yeah, I, I said it on the show. Uh, Dora the Explorer. Dora the ex- and it was because why you had a uh, bowl cut here. Uh, yeah. Dora, who? Oh my god. god. Okay, you go gone. I had a bowl cut too. This is Dora the Explorer, Chicken Dance. They used to confuse you with her? No, they just called me that because I had bowl cut. Okay. Yeah, that means yes. That's Dora. Dora. What is this? This is Dora the Explorer, dude. 
I remember that shit from when my daughter was young. Do you? Dora the Explorer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a little weird. Yeah, it's like, it's your it's other daughter. Weird. Special case, your other daughter. <laughs> Here we hey, go. my daughter used to play with you. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's so, come on. Games. Let's stop playing fucking can you, games. Can we do some introductions of our guests today? I'm going to try. I'm okay. trying to. Okay. I'm trying got to get to We got a couple guests. We got some serious. First, I'm going to. I want to, I think we need to, first of all, we're friends with Danny Marillo. Danny That's Marillo, right. right. Danny Marillo from Underground Scholars. Right. Um, which is an organization that's uh, helping um, incarcerated men and women. Right. Um, you know, eventually get degrees and get into college and universities. And um, and he's helped us get different different guests on the show, right? Some ex-lifers. And and. Some ex-lifers. He's also talked about his personal story. Perhaps his journey, yeah. Right? All the whole thing, right? From formerly incarcerated people. It's, right. I mean, he's gr- he's great. He's right. a great friend of our shows. He's a supporter, and he helps helps produce some of the, and get some of these guests on the show. Right. So, he's opened the vault. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. He's opened the vault, and he's let out a caged beast to the show. A gentleman that... Needs no introduction, but just by virtue of convention, we have to introduce him, right? It's a gentleman who listened to a CD so long that his woman told him to give it up. He's tired of listening to that album, Mr. Frankie Guzman. Frankie Guzman. Right? Yeah. Frankie Guzman. Come on, Come on, Frank Guzman. <laughs> Let the jam play. Come on. Where's my intro song? It's coming. Oh. <laughs> Check it out. Look at that. What's that scene behind you, Frankie? That's Oakland Skyline. Up and coming. Yeah! Yeah, Frankie Guzman. Don't dirty the shoes, man. Guzman for straight G's. Don't step on the shoes, man. Put a G on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Who else we got? Um, And then we've got a real, I mean, this guy... Uh, already threw us for a loop because we asked him, we're like, hey, bro, what do you want to, what do you want us to play? And he threw out two names that basically made old Blue Eyes' eyes cross. Right. Right? Like Blue Eyes, he got a, he got a fucking headache trying to figure out. Blue Eyes started lactating. Yeah, he was like, holy shit. And we started yelling shit at a. Nipples got all wet. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was between. He got dried milk stains now on his fucking shirt. <laughs> yeah. His nipples, the top of his nipples look like dried Fruit Loops, right? Like dried Fruit Loops, crusty and weird. Okay. Look like busted fucking hibiscus flowers on top. Go ahead, let's introduce this guest. His nipples look like <laughs> like that like the baboon's ass. You right, know, have you ever right, seen right. his baboon? All red and yeah, irritated. Yeah, all red and irritated. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Let's get back to the story. Yeah. This guy, Jamie, and we're picking for him a very historical cut. Yeah. Listen up, Special K. Listen to this, kid. Oh, shit. Fuck. Come on. I'm in junior high right yeah, now. Fuck yeah. yeah. Fucking back when smoking was cool. Yeah. Right? Remember when you yeah. could smoke cigarettes? God damn it. <laughs> Remember that? I live my life. Yeah. No tomorrow. 
That is good shit. Good shit. Right. All right. Well, I, saw, I saw those guys in 83 at the forum. Van Halen? Yeah, 83. Yeah, I think it was 82 or 83. At the forum. At the forum. Like a year after I saw Kiss at the forum. Yeah. Nice. Jesus ago. Christ. What was yeah. that like? Off the fucking hinges, bro. Like, there's nothing like it. How old were you? Uh, 12 and 13. And yeah. you were going, and I mean, was No, Dick? we had, a, we had a, sh- a chaperone go oh. with us to, to the first show. It was my cousin's mom. Yeah. And then on the second show, we had to go with uh, a cousin right. that was older that was bringing us to the show. But still, uh, Van Halen, bro, man, God Did da- David Lee Roth came out on stage? Hell yeah, bro. Was he and jumping around? Fuck yeah, doing splits and Kids. fucking tearing open his fucking leather pants and all that shit, man. And he had those crazy like tiger Running around with a shit. fucking bottle of Jack in his hand on the stage. Oh my fucking, God. Yeah, it was awesome, brother. Right. Awesome. Well, hey. Anyways. Yeah, Jamie, Frankie, guys, thank you for joining yeah. the show, man. Thank you. Bam, I, I think that yeah. for our guests, um, I think for our guests, if you could do a little 30 second exactly what you do because i'd like to get both our guests online with both of you guys as we no that's cool but i kind of wanted to know why are we having two at a time first like what was up with the why is it two at a time guys jamie frankie why is it two at a time great question Uh, i don't know i mean we were asked to come on and uh yeah i I have no idea special k can you explain this special Um, k were you supposed to separate these guys no I, i i asked uh if we should have Danny Muriel said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Danny Muriel said, <laughs> Danny Muriel said it." All right, all right. So and so then, okay. Knowing you guys know the 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 intense mind of Danny Murillo, Mario yeah. Cigarillo Morello, What what do you think was the reason he decided like it would be a good to do a package deal here? Well, Frankie and I are involved in trying to help folks who were formerly incarcerated become attorneys. And uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we started a group called the California System Involved Bar Association. And it's a bar association for formerly incarcerated system involved folks. So maybe that's why we're we're here together. I love that. Man, that's I dope, love brother. that. Dude, first of all, give the power back to the people. I'm an attorney and I can tell you firsthand uh, a lot of my colleagues should have gone to prison. Like they should <laughs> have gone to prison. A lot of the guys that I know should have been in prison. Um, what, what is the challenges? What are the challenges that face an, a guy who is a former convict or whatever? What kind of challenges, uh, does he or she face when they get out and they go to school and they even go to law school, they even get accepted to law school? What, how hard is the process once they've done all that to become an attorney? Frankie, you want me to do it? Yeah. So I think, I mean, in terms of becoming an attorney, right, the bar exam, California is notoriously the hardest one in the country. So there's that obstacle. But then there's also for folks like us who've been inside, there's also this extra piece, which is you've got to prove to the bar, right, that you're of good moral character. And that can be difficult if you spent any time in prison. You know, the presumption is you aren't. And so what we try to do is to help folks in those hearings and with the moral character process, you know, successfully navigate it because yeah. that is going to be the biggest obstacle to licensure. Go ahead. Are you telling me? Go ahead. Cause I know this is going to fucking blow your mind. Yeah, It's going to blow Are your you mind. Are you fucking telling me that not only do you have to fucking pass the bar? Yes. But now you got to prove, even though you fucking spent your time. Oh yes. Studying like a motherfucker. Oh yes. To pass one of the hardest tests this nation has to offer. Oh yes. That now you have to prove 
to some fucking board of fucking white guys, probably. Yeah, for sure. Oh yes, that you're that you're okay. That you're a, a good standing moral citizen. <laughs> no, yeah. wait, wait, wait before that you're you, a good human being. That you're worth. Wait, wait, wait. Before you guys even do that, because that's true. That's another bullshit thing, right? Right. And let me tell you something. When I got out of law school, there was a couple of my classmates that had DUIs, that had little petty bullshit. That yeah. was going to get in the way of them passing that moral application test. But when you start thinking about that, put this, put your brain on this. How, what is the reputation of attorneys? What is their reputation? They're, they're, they're all liars. They're all liars, right? <laughs> scumbags, right? Right, scumbags. Yeah. Total yeah, scumbags. Sure. I mean, right. I'll even go further, man. I, I mean, I went to UCLA School of Law and, and, you know, I went there and most of the white kids were on Adderall and cocaine on the weekends. <laughs> right. right. I remember, I remember having to, you know, you know, prepare for the, the moral character. So it's like when people say the bar exam, um, you know, it, there, I mean, there is a, there is a test, but that, you know, but, but to pass the bar, you know, the, for, you know, the, the process, it also involves a background check. Right. And so I had to dig into my life and t explain things that I did 15 years ago. And it was, you know, a very emotional and I would say triggering process knowing that, I mean, think about if, for all your listeners out there that are lifers, right. The, 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 the parole process, having two commissioners who are already inclined to not believe anything you fucking say, and, right. and, and what you do say, they're gonna they're gonna criticize as if you don't have enough insight. The same is true with the with the moral character. You have to prove to people that you've changed, and sometimes there, there's no way to, to 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 prove the negative, right? Like, how can I show that I'm no longer bad because mm -hmm. doing good isn't enough, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so having, for example, when I you know when I went through the process, they wanted to know like. Did I do A, A, N, A and, and, and go through, you know, that mm -hmm. whole thing? And I said, no, like, you know, for me, I grew up a kid, disadvantaged, smoked weed, committed crimes, got out, did well. And I explained to them, like, it was a developmental issue, depression, anxiety, you know, lack of, of hope. I, I smoked weed and I got to law, you know, I got to college and college became my anti-drug. Right. And so now I'm talking 15 years later, I'm on a straight path. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. And I have to explain what I did. 15 years ago, and, and they want to see the formalities. Like, did I do A, A, N, A? Like, no, what fucking 15-year-old goes to A, A? Right. Like, I can't show you that it, unless you want me to lie and forge some shit. And, and so it was like a catch-22. I can't get ahead if I can't show them, and I can't show them <laughs> what I didn't do. And so it was, it was, you know, it was impossible. And so for and me, I lawyered it. up. Uh, I got pro bono counsel from Morrison and Forrester because Jamie might have still been in uh, I don't know where Jamie was in, in, in 2012, honestly. I was uh, still on parole, man. <laughs> he and says he that. He by the way, Jamie back. says that with a big smile. He says <laughs> now, that. both of you guys. He, say, he says that like he was at a birthday party. He's like, ah, I was still on parole, man. Just so I get a timeline down, both of you are formerly incarcerated gentlemen. How long have both of you two been out of prison? I've been out since, uh, so I spent a little over four years in, inside for a DUI homicide back on the East Coast. I was locked up Damn. outside of Philly. And... Mm. Uh, I got out in 04 June, uh, maxed out in 07 May. Okay. And Frankie? Yeah, and I, I, I um, spent six years in the California authority, and the, the last year that I did was in uh, 2004. I got a YTS, and I transferred to UC Berkeley a year later. And while I was in Berkeley, I got my fourth uh, driving on a suspended license, so I had to do uh, 10 days in county jail, oh, actually in uh, Sonoma <laughs> County, um, so that was actually the last time I was incarcerated. It was maybe 05, 06, but really like state uh, DJJ was 04. All right, but hold on a second, guys. Like back up for a second and, and let, let's let, really take in what, what Frankie and Jamie are talking about. Like when you do the moral app, right, you got people who are digging into your past 
about like AANA, like shit like that, right? But they, let me. They want to show. They want you to show. But how do you show? As I said before, like how do you demonstrate that you've changed? And the only thing that they can look to is some some certifications. Not, not everybody's issue is alcohol, right? Like mm-hmm. mine, like I said, was other things. Yeah, but, but, but see, yeah. like Louis, forget all that. Think about the level of hypocrisy. Because let me ask you a question, Steve. What's the reputation for lawyers in sobriety? Even bigger scumbag. Right, they're drunks. <laughs> yeah. The whole reason people become lawyers and judges mm-hmm. is so they can drink on the job and no one's going to question it. Right. You're supposed to drink. I'm an attorney. Mm-hmm. I had a law professor who wouldn't give me notes because I was sober. And he said, you don't drink, I don't trust you. The law professor. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Yeah. Right? So, 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 so those type people... They're going to open the door for you to fucking become a scumbag lawyer who's going to lie for a living and be allowed to drink on the job. But before you can do that, you got to prove to me that you went to N.A. and A.A. back when you were 15. Think about that. Am I crazy, guys? Is that wrong? No, but, you know, the, the truth is the law is, is an elitist profession. You know, it's the it's the old boys network, you know, white power rules, you know, and, and, and they're not going to just let anybody in that club. And so it's like the rules they make, you know, and I'll even go further. Right. It's like a lot of our members in, in, in the system involved bar association and people that are aspiring lawyers, like it, it's a mind fuck. Right. You, you go to the juvenile. Pro- Many of them are young. Right. When they get caught up and then, you know, they become adults and men navigate to college and then they get to law school and even college applications. They ask, have you ever been arrested or convicted of something? And in juvenile court, they tell you, you were not convicted. This is first of all, juvenile court is confidential. So right. people shouldn't know about that. Second, the outcomes in the juvenile court system, which are civil in nature are not convictions, they're adjudications. And so they tell you, you can check no. So then when they get to college or law school applications and they rightfully, well, they answer what they think is a, a true answer, which is no, I've never been convicted. They get penalized, right? And yeah. some law schools have caught on to that. And, and so on the one hand, you get punished for what, what they consider <coughs> lying to them, which isn't a lie. Mm-hmm. You answered truthfully. Right. But even if they expand the question to have you ever been arrested, now in my, my view, like that is, is, is bad public policy because we're asking people to reveal things that are confidential in nature. If, if, if the juvenile court was designed to protect kids from the stigma <coughs> and, 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 and by you know, kind of preventing the, 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 the limitation on their, on their future prospects for life and success because of... This, you know the confidentiality then why the fuck is the state bar asking these questions like what did what is it to you we have already accepted that young people do things that they should not be held you know to account for many decades later so let it go but here i think it's it, it's it's one the message we tell people is you don't have to disclose this but then you get to the state bar and they say yeah we actually don't care about confidentiality and we don't care if this is not uh, a, a conviction we just want to know how how many times have you been in, in contact with police and they don't really recognize in many communities, man, you get, you contact police sometimes. All baby. the time. Yeah, and you yeah, can be arrested five times for something you didn't do. You didn't do. That's right. the point. Listen, I, dude, I've seen it. I've seen people get arrested because they were just with somebody and they legit had nothing to do with anything, right? Or you talk you talk back to the cop by availing your, yourself of your rights. You, you say and, the and, same and, things that the, that, that the white folks say on TV. I, I, I don't want to talk. Can I, am I free to go? Like, come here, you little motherfucker, you little smart ass, and, and you, you end up being locked up. But listen, if you... Go ahead, go ahead, Jamie. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it a step further. I mean, it, you back up the timeline, it happens at, at the law school admissions process, too. I mean, so, you know, we just looked at... I just did a study of, you know, nationwide of all law schools, 
and what kinds of questions they ask. I mean, it's it's roughly 70% ask about juvenile convictions, right, which they shouldn't. Um, and, and it's roughly 60 to 70% ask about arrests that never led to any charges. Right. So, so, so on the front end, you have this sort of gatekeeper. You go through school, you pass the hardest test in the country, then you got the back end gatekeeper for moral character. And so what we didn't talk about, I mean, what I do in my practice is, is simply, I represent folks with records who try to navigate this moral character process. So I deal with bringing them in there and trying to figure out, okay, how can we show that you're no longer the person, arguably, that committed that crime, right? right. And you know what they want to see is, yeah, time since, but it isn't enough, as Frankie said, to just say, hey, it's been 12 years and I haven't had one dust up. That's you know what's interesting, bro, is that you guys sound... Stuff, you, know? you know what, Jamie's interesting is because you guys sound much like... Um, you know, in-house or I should call institutional attorneys in the sense that I was on yards where dudes were maybe coming up for parole after serving life sentences, right? And they didn't know how to answer the right questions and they were being yeah. denied for prison, right? Yeah. And I remember- yeah, these are parole hearings. I mean, that's what they are. I mean, right, right, and dude, I, uh, I saw the parole man, right, because I was in an indeterminate state where I had mm-hmm. to ask to be let out at my minimum, right. Mm-hmm. And I go in and I rumbled my case. And the first question is, "Are you sorry for what you did?" Yeah. Where, did you do it? Yeah. Well, then why'd you rumble your case? Wait, what do you mean? It's my constitutional right to be able to go to trial. Right. Yeah, but if, but, but, but if it's, but if you know you did it and you're sorry for doing it, why did you put your victim through that and go to trial? That's and so, how do you answer something like that? I mean, it's, that's it's, so it's fucked in a corner, up. right? Right. And they trick, and there's a lot of that. And I remember other lifers that had either gotten out or came back or whatever they might have done, they kind of corralled around these dudes and they taught them how to go into a parole hearing. After the third and fourth denial, these guys are finally getting found suitable for parole, but it was about the questions they were answering and how the board wanted them to respond. Forget about truth or any of that. You got to put on a certain act. Right. So that they will believe you and let you go. Right. And you well, have to be well, coached. Well, full disclosure, I never counsel anyone to lie. Of right. course okay. not. Right, right, right. 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 But it was almost say, like. But, but how you tell a story. But what do you mean exactly, by lying? Exactly, brother. And this What's is the like. Definition of this a is lie? like if nobody coached you on going in, you could fuck off a whole bunch of dates until some people got around you and was like, all right, bro, this is what they want to hear. This is what, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. these guys are doing that. For the bar after right. they get out. But it's the same type of like, nobody read you the rules, bro. No, but so, situ- uh, look, this is, and this is what it's really about. Mm. Because what you just said is true. It's not about the truth. It's not about the truth. It's about can you conform mm. to the rules that we are prescribing to you? Are you going to act the way that we've prescribed you need to act? Mm-hmm. If you can get yourself in line with our program, then we're going to start looking at, okay, then you, you, you've passed the test that maybe now you can go out there. But it is about conforming. It's about learning the code. And it's about performing that code voluntarily or at least looking as though you're doing it voluntarily so that they can say, yeah, you're out there. And with this moral, moral character app shit that's with the, with the, with the bar, you got to understand too, the, the shit that Jamie and Frankie, they might have convicted them of or accused them of, right? Right? You can, once you become an attorney, the sum of those same charges will not knock you out of being an That's attorney. True. That's right. 100%. Is that right, Jamie? Can you yeah, speak 100%. to that a little bit? Like, what's the yeah. double standard there? 
Yeah, it's so 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 the the moral sort of hurdle is far higher to become an attorney than it is once you're an attorney if you have some sort of misconduct, right? So it's a lot harder to get your license from jump than it is to lose it um, later on. I, I mean, I've rep I've represented lawyers who've had misconduct, few a few, not many. Mostly, I have represent law students, but I will tell you that they are received far more cordially than are my law school applicants that have been inside for a number of years and, and really want to become lawyers. And that's Which I've never, I've never understood that, but that's just the way it is. I mean, listen, I, I'm going to straight up tell you, you guys have put it right up on the head. My dad was also an attorney. Okay, When I was coming up, when I was just, a, uh, I was, uh, how does Big Lep say it? Knee high to a duck, silly putty in my nose. Right, right. Listen, he, my dad would pull me aside. Water's still in your ass. Piss and vinegar, whatever yeah, the yeah, fuck right, it is that right, Big Lip said. Yeah, knee high to a duck. I don't know where he gets that shit. Right. But here's the thing. My dad would pull me aside, and he would tell me, and go, listen, once you become an attorney, you can do pretty much anything you want. You can, you can even fucking kill a guy, and you won't lose your license. But he pulled me close. He said, there's only one thing that can cause you to lose your law license, stealing. And I go, why? Why would that matter to them? And he goes, because right now, lawyers control the, um, the, the money that their clients pay. They put up the retainer. So right now, there's no regulation, really. It's all self-regulated. And lawyers don't want the government to get involved on how the retainers dealt with. So if I have a client and I go, hey, for me to even get fucked to talk to you, you got to put 10K in a bank account and I'll hold it for you. And I'll work and I'll just take off that 10K and I'll be straightforward and honest about it. So as a result, the bar takes seriously any kind of embezzlement type things once you're an attorney. Everything else, you can go to AA, you can fucking do, you know, do your thing. You could be sorry. You might get suspended for a year and come back. But if you're caught stealing from a client, that will fuck you up because all the attorneys have a nice cushy setup where it's like, I prepare my own invoice for the mm -hmm. work that I did. Who can verify it? Mm -hmm. Right? And I'm just going to take off the the retainer and no right. one can really check that right and i'm not saying all attorneys rip anyone off i'm not saying that but just imagine if your boss said guess what what if your boss said sean sean i'll tell you what man i trust you and you're an honorable guy so i'm gonna put a hundred thousand in the bank for this year right and you're gonna keep track of your own time you're gonna decide when you're on the clock and you're gonna also decide what activity you were doing that was part of the case Think about that for a minute. Think about how much control you have over your own money. Think about like where 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 your boss in another job would have saw you on Google fucking around. Might be like, that's not working. Yeah, I'm not paying you for that. But like on your own, you're like, well, it was kind of research. Mm -hmm. You know, I was kind of. I'll I'll call that fifteen. That was fifteen minutes of work, right? Now I'm not saying all lawyers do that. But I'm saying certainly there's a big fat gray line and it's real hard to figure out what's going on. And the bars all around the country do not want that shit to shut off. So that's why you can keep your shit together as long as it's not stealing. Does that line up with anything that you guys have heard, Jamie or Frankie? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's implicit, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. don't, 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 don't fuck up their good thing. Right. It, it, there's no transparency. There's no real oversight. And so if you start attracting too much attention, 
you might just lose the little racket you got going on. And but see me, I'm a I'm a public interest attorney, so I don't bill my clients. I just right, of course. I, of I course. charge foundations who got free money to give away, and I fight for the, the kids that don't have money. Right. Well, I'm a private attorney, and I'll tell you what, I'm very honest. But I can see when I'm doing whatever I'm doing, I could see if I had to run a bad luck or I just, you know, was a bad week or whatever. I could see where somebody could manipulate the numbers and, you know, and nobody can look into it. Jamie, um, what about your story, brother? You So how do you go from being incarcerated for, uh, what did you say, DUI, vehicular yeah, manslaughter? DUI homicide, yeah. What can you talk to that at all? I mean, what? what yeah, what? I mean, it was it, so. I, I I grew up on the East Coast, and I went to college. I was a wrestling scholarship. When I finished, I started coaching, and uh, I was coaching in New York City. And I was working on a master's degree at the time. Uh, you know, that was part of how they paid me. Uh, they gave me a free master's degree. So I did a year there. Uh, had pretty good success coaching. Buddy called me up, said, "Hey, come down to Philly. Let's have a few and and, and hang out." Drove down to Philly. It was about a two-hour ride. You know, hung out, boozed a little bit that night with him, and on the way home, uh, we wrecked the car, and he got killed. Uh, so I was charged Damn. with uh, DUI homicide. They didn't have a manslaughter charge in Pennsylvania at the time. So I was charged with DUI homicide, um, bailed out, finished my degree, uh, and a year after the wreck, uh, went in for sentencing. And when I was sentenced, I got three and a half to seven and ended up serving a little over four years. I got a parole hit at three and a half, uh, and so – a year hit. They re-reviewed me early at six months and I got out just over four. So when I was inside, I didn't know what I was going to do when I got home. Uh, I had never going to coach again. I mean, I was sort of a public relations nightmare at that point. So I, um, I thought, well, what, what kind of profession can I do? My dad was always bugging me a little bit to go to law school and I hated school to be honest. I graduated college with like a two six. Yeah. And I thought, well, hell, maybe I'll try this. I mean, I'm bored, but you know, I got a day room I could study in. So I ended up taking my LSATs inside. I was locked up in 2000. I took my LSATs in October 01 in my cell and um, scored out pretty well, applied to a bunch of schools, got into 10 out of 11. And of the 10, only one would let me start while I was on active state parole. And when I got home, I still had about three years of a tail to walk off. So the only school that would let me do that was this little school called Thomas Jefferson School of Law down in San Diego. And so when I got out, I paroled home to Boston, spent about six months there with my folks, and then I did an interstate compact uh, to San Diego and started reporting down on Kurt Street. Uh, and I was on active parole pre-AB 109 for you know, almost three years, graduated law school in 07, and then maxed out the same, uh, same week, actually. I, I graduated law school, I maxed out. So that was my, that's how I ended up there, and then did a few more degrees and ended up you know, wanting to teach. Again, I always wanted to teach. Did a few more degrees, PhD, LLM, uh, and then I, I nailed down a job teaching, and now I'm tenured up at Long Beach. Frankie, um, why did you smile when uh, Jamie said, I got a few more degrees? Why was that? What, what, what well, because he started out saying he didn't like school, and the motherfucker won't leave school. <laughs> he just, you know, he just keeps studying. Like, you know, Mexican parents, if you keep telling them, I want to get a master, I want to get a PhD, they're like, you really don't want to work, do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much it. <laughs> Um, so wait a second. This is interesting to me, uh, cause I wrestled in high school, but I was never good enough to go to the next level. Uh, so this was like real wrestling, right? None of this fucking bullshit with the fucking spandex. Maybe. What did you, uh, what, what, what weight class did you wrestle? I was 118 in college. No and, shit. Uh, when I got home from prison, I was, uh, I don't know, 175. So yeah, it was, a, that was a long time ago. That was a different life, but yeah, I was, uh, I was 118 for four years in college. 
Man, dude. So wrestling in college, how, what level? How is that different than like wrestling in high school? Because guys that wrestled in high school, including me, walk around kind of puffed up a little bit. Like, yeah, we fucking didn't do that. Well, but wrestling in high uh, college, how is that at another level? What's it like? Everyone in the room is either a state champ or a state runner up. So you come correct or <laughs> figure you go it out, to sleep. You know? yeah. <laughs> right. And so when so you it's just it's just it's just like think about your hardest match you wrestled in high school. Right. Yeah. You're, you're wrestling that level every week. It's that match right? every weekend when you're going to a quad meet, you got three of those kind of matches. And what about let me ask you this, man. You ever get oil checked in a match? <laughs> Look at Sean. His I never seen Sean light up like that before, yeah. bro. I never. He's Dude, been he's waiting never to ask that question for fucking two years. He's been waiting, bro. Been talking that for like ten years. He almost level. He almost levitated <laughs> over the table just now, dude. He got himself so like, happy. Yeah. What? What? Did, why Look was that? that? Why? He's like, I really asked that. I really asked. <laughs> why? Uh, I just saw. I just saw a video where a dude did that to a guy, and I was like, Oh, that shit looks like it's fucking painful. <laughs> it was like this. Bam, dog. Like fucking uh, old oh, finger dude. pirate. Oh. Finger pirate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, no, there's a weird. Can you? Speak? We have to edit that. Nah, Jamie. Can you speak to that? Because I can kind of. Uh, there's a crude humor that goes along with being a wrestler. There's some things that you find funny that most normal mouth breathers won't find funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, I spent you know hours on a stairmaster with you know sweatsuits and rubber suits and garbage bags. I mean, you sort of gotta have yeah, a sense yeah, of humor. I mean, yeah, you're, you're killing yeah. yourself. What was your signature move, man? Friday night special or what? I was a I was a thrower, so I, I was into uh, lat drops and head and arms and stuff where I could catch and, and get a five point, get a big five pointer. Right. But now, like, with this Gracie Jiu-Jitsu stuff, do you find people, like, try to be like, yeah, that was, that's cool what you did, but let me show you how to some fucking Brazilian. And you're like, uh, I've been messing. What, what's wrestling to, like, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or MMA? What do you see there? I think wrestling translates well into MMA. I mean, I know a lot of the guys that do it are, are good at it. I mean, a few of the guys that I wrestled against and with in college started doing it, you know, once we finished. Um, you know, for an old wrestler like me who never did MMA, it, it's still a little weird to be on my back. So, uh, right, I'm not into it all. That I can, much. I can tell you this from from the gyms that I've been in. Yeah, they always bring in a like a college wrestler or somebody who is like specialized Elite in wrestling. Wrestler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to do shooting, like right. shoot in, right? Because like in in jujitsu, they don't really shoot in a lot, right? So they bring in some like, some sort of specialist to. To kind of go over those drills. Yeah, because uh, if you're a thrower, then you got to also be really good at shooting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to protect your legs. Yeah, and think about this, man. Like, the, we, our coach, Coach Brown, guy was about four feet tall, but he could kick your fucking ass in a New York minute. What is it with short guys, man? And like, wrestling? I'm, I'm yeah. only 5'3", so. Yeah, right, right. right? There you go. Right. That's wrestling. No, it's, I think it's partially, there's two reasons. One is short guys uh, got to prove themselves more. Also mm -hmm. get quick. I mean, it's quicker for you to get down. Yeah, they're center, a closer right? fucking center of gravity. Right. Now, but, and, but, but also, they put you in classes, so you finally get some fair fucking fights. Like, you, you're not in, you know, you're not with the whales down at, like, 280. Right. Unless it's, like, Iron Man workout right. and you have to wrestle everyone. But the point of the matter is, is, though, that's interesting because shooting, like, dude, in wrestling, like, you, that's, like, one of the major topics is not only shooting but how to protect yourself from the shooting. And then mm -hmm. how do you get a guy? My first wrestling match, I was a fucking mess, bro. Because I don't know about his first wrestling match, but when you find, go ahead. You ever shoot your pants? I mean, wrestling? Yeah. No. Mm. 
No, Damn, but you know what? Studying ever? Studying? Ever? Yes, studying for the bar. <laughs> I shit my pants. You did? I absolutely Stay, shit well, my pants. There you pants. go. I absolutely did because okay. listen, I thought it was a fart because Wait. it was it came out like gas, <laughs> right? You're all hot. Right, it was real uh, hot and it blew. You couldn't feel the liquid because it was warm. <laughs> it, it, it came out like that, and the only reason I knew I was in trouble is because it didn't dissipate and it got cold. Oh. Yeah, and then you got up and walked with gravy leg to the bathroom. Dude, I, 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 I walked like a one-legged just sailor. Bro. Was, was it like, leaking out the bottom of the pant leg? Dude, like well, that? no, I had bunched up socks. It was getting caught up in the socks. It was like oh. a sponge. Yeah, there's no big deal. It's like a point of pride to me. I'm yeah. like, dude, I studied so hard to <laughs> shit my pants. Yes. All right. So, all right, so that's great. And uh, Frankie? Yeah, Frankie, you ever shit your pants? <laughs> Not often, but it's mm. happened. It's happened. <laughs> what, was, to, do, was it one of those deals where you thought it was a, it was a ghost and it turned every out to be time, a log? Every time. You think you're safe until you don't feel the air. <laughs> I, I won't, I, I'm at the age now where I won't test that anymore. <laughs> Frankie, are you able to speak on um, on your incarceration? Are you yeah. able to speak a little lightly on what transpired? Yeah, um, <laughs> sure. yeah, sure. I, I was uh, 15 years old. You know, I, I grew up in the east side of Oxnard in a, in a neighborhood called La Colonia, and yeah, um, you know, gang involved. And you know, I was young. I mean, 15 and shit. I was, you know, still, you know, up and coming. I guess you could say. And, and you know, at that time too, in the mid 90s, I had to admit, like a lot of the older homies were just strung out, you know, heroin, crack, fucking you name it. They weren't very, you know, there wasn't much mentorship, guidance, structure. And so all the little homies were just, you know, we were we were doing our own thing. And um, one day my friend tells me he's, you know, his family's hard on cash. They're about to be evicted. Will I help them rob a liquor store? And even at that time, I felt like if you rob a liquor store, you know, you're risking three years in, in jail for what, 300 bucks? Um, and so I told him no, but you know, he, he, he accepted that he walks away and I began to feel guilty in my, you know, 15 year old codependent mind. I'm thinking mm -hmm. like, man, I need to help my friend. If something mm -hmm. bad happens, um, I'm gonna feel guilty. So we go and at noon on a Saturday afternoon, just like right now, robbed the liquor store in broad daylight. Um, we stole a car, had guns, ski masks, robbed the liquor store, left, dished the cash in the car. Uh, and then we ended up getting caught cause we, we took the car again, try to try to sell it. And. Um, we did eight months in juvenile hall. He was tried as an adult at age 16, sentenced to seven years in, in, in the adult system. I was kept in juvenile court. Um, my judge gave me 15 years and committed me to the California Youth Authority. Uh, what? Because Fuck! Five for the it was, what was it, five years for the robbery, 10 years gun enhancement. Right. But because I was 15, I maxed out at 25, so it was really a 10-year sentence. Uh, I went to Fred C. Nellis. Uh, at that time, there was uh, 11,000 young people in the system that was designed to only hold 6,000. So we were Damn. experiencing the, the, the double capacity thing that, you know, prisons um, have gone through in California. And it was it was it was madness. You know, it was just gladiator schools. Right. And, and, right. and yeah, guards are fucking you up. You know, or they're paying the, the big kids, young men to fuck up, fuck each other up. And and it was like that. Right. So going there, I'm just, you know, felt like the judge told me. If you're as good as the community letters and supports and even probation reports say you are, then you're going to go to CYA and you're going to come back, you know, better, you know, good as new, better than ever, which I thought was a cruel joke getting there because it was just like nothing there was good. Everything right. was corrupt. Everything was violent. And it was just really about survival. And so I got out. Uh, I did three years, got out, didn't last three months, went back on a year violation, got out a year later, only lasted two months that time and went back again. And, and the third time I got out, um, I stayed out for two years and enrolled in community college, Oxnard College. I was 21 at this point. You know, the frontal lobe started to develop and I started thinking a little more of consequences and, and long-term 
strategy and I had never met anybody that had been to college except maybe like, you know, the, the corrections officers that had AA degrees in sociology. So I did that. I studied sociology. I hated it. A lot of my professors at Oxnard College encouraged me to do English because I, I wrote well. So I did that. Um, and at age 23, I violated parole one more time for I was basically I was, you know, possession of a controlled substance that I may or may not have been selling. Right. Um, and, and did another year and a half, six months county and a year at YTS. And when I got out that time, I immediately applied to the UC system because I was poor. I had the, the fee waivers for four UCs. I applied to Irvine, Santa Barbara, L.A. because they were near my, my home. And I burnt the four, fourth free one on Berkeley. And I got into all of them. So at age 25, uh, I, I, I left home for the first time in my life, not in handcuffs, to mm-hmm. live in the Bay Area. And, you know, kind of the rest is history, man. I did, I did very well. I graduated with a B.A. in English from the number one English department in the country. Right. That's... Spent two years at the National Center for Youth Law as the executive director's assistant. Was inspired to do, you know, big impact like type work, litigation, policy work. So I got admitted to UCLA School of Law. Uh, I applied to 31 law schools because I believed that I was going to have a hard time getting in. And out of the 31, I got admitted to six. And so 30, so 25 denied me. Um, and UCLA was one of the better ones. Um, so I went there. And, you know, once I was there, like, you know, hard part is getting in, you know, but once I was there, I, I knew that I couldn't compete with the other students who were like legacy kids with, you know, parents that were lawyers. And so my, my, my perspective was like, don't compete with them, compete with myself, be smarter than I was yesterday, you know, be smarter than I was this morning, like learn a lot and, and have fun. Oh, hold on and, a second. And, uh, yeah. Disculpe, Frankie, disculpe. Can you speak to when you went to law school? Mm-hmm. Can you speak to your experience of realizing the levels of intelligence in, in law school? Like, my experience was I thought I was pretty smart, right? Like, undergrad and all that other shit. And then when I went to law school, I came and met some people that were, like, really fucking smart. Did you have that same experience when you went to <clears throat> UCLA where you were like, God damn, that person's so fucking brilliant. It's not even, I'm not even worried about them because they're in a the class of their own. Yeah, sure. And I'll say, um, I got a lot to say about that, but I'll say, I think because UCLA was ranked 15, we didn't have those, you know, top three, you know, Stanford or, or, or Yale law students that were just so full of themselves, can't come to earth. And they're just, you know, they're so smart. They're stupid in some ways, kind of like on the, on the spectrum, maybe. Yeah. Um, there weren't too <laughs> yeah. many of those. And so like, like being 15, like, like humble yourself, motherfucker. We're all at UCLA. None of us are, are, are Yale materials. So like tone it down. <laughs> um, and, and I kind of feel like that was a factor. But then also I'll say, like, for me, I knew that there's there's cerebral intelligence and there's emotional intelligence. And for me, like, I didn't I wasn't the book read motherfucker, but I survived a lot and navigated a lot. And a lot of it was like instinctual. Mm-hmm. So being in that space, like I remember the first semester, my, my classmates, all very smart. Motherfuckers are breaking down, crying. I'm hearing people moping in, in, in the library and I'm just like, what's happening? And they're afraid because the pressure's on. And here I am. I'm thinking. No one's going to shoot me, kill me, right. rape me or anyone I love, take my home. Like, all yeah, of you got to stab nobody. You got to stab right. nobody, right? Yeah. The you, worst you, thing can open your door, you can open your door from the inside. Yeah. Worst thing that, that, you're, that you're threatening me with is a C minus. I'm like, game on. So <laughs> I didn't have that pressure. I didn't have that fucking pressure. Crazy, I, it was a man. Think about that. That's a major advantage, actually, in law school. Yeah. If, you, if you don't have that kind of pressure, 
If you're not if you're not stressing out and shit in your pants because of a, a test because you think you gotta be top gun or in the first whatever's because you're looking at I, w- I hope I can get that job at O'Melveny and Myers or whatever right. the fuck it is at right pork, pork pig and swine LLC exactly right, right. right? <laughs> what about you Jamie what about uh, what about you did you I mean t- listen. No, you can say like, oh, there's first tier, second tier, third tier, fourth tier law schools, but at every law school, there's some smart motherfuckers, right? And there's, Jamie, can you speak to your experience as hitting that and being like, fuck, all right, this is interesting. Well, for me, I mean, I had been out of school for a minute, so it was, you know, as Frankie had, and so it was a little weird sort of readjusting, right? And it was super weird being in criminal law and have people talk about those people and comics. <laughs> and right? Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, in terms of Love like it. smartness and all that, I mean, look, I went to law school sort of ignorant. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what law review was. Right. I didn't know what like journals were and how that worked. I didn't know any of that. So I sort of just learned it while I was there. And yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think not knowing maybe benefited me a little bit because it does take away a lot of that stress and a lot of that other stuff. Um, basically they stuck books in front of me and said, you know, this is what we want you to learn. And so I just grind, you know, and I just would try to learn it. And that was what I did. I kind of, and ended up okay. But I mean, yeah, I think going into it a little bit naive, it maybe was a good thing, you know? Right. But I'll be honest, there was no one at that school that I thought, you know, and, and frankly, I, I don't know. I mean, Frankie's right. I, you know, I think he was probably one of the top guys at UCLA. And I think where we were, where I was at, I felt like I could compete with everybody. Right. But it wasn't a pressure to compete. It was just I just felt like I could. And that was, you know, part of it has having come out of a situation that I think taught me resilience. I think same thing with Frankie. And, and I'll even I'll say for me, I went into law school wanting to compete with the best of them. And, and I had a chip on my shoulder and I felt like I can't. So so when I got admitted, one of the professors that was on the admissions committee let me know that there, it was a big controversy. Half of the panel hated me, said that I wasn't UCLA material, no Fuck fucking way. Man. They were all about the numbers and, and the prestige. And the other half were a lot more public interest-minded, social justice, and really wanted me to, and they prevailed. But learning that, I didn't feel bad in the sense that I'm like, oh, fuck, those people didn't want me. It was kind of like, damn, like now I have to prove the people that went to bat for me right, because if I don't, then I'm letting them down which is kind of the story of like my life. And so um, I tried hard in the first year I tried hard and I got C's and B's and I didn't do well. And I developed like migraine headaches and, and it, over a few months I learned it was my glasses. And, but in that time, it wasn't even an option to study. I couldn't read more than a couple hours because I would have these debilitating migraines that would knock me out for days. And so I had to basically accept that I can't give a hundred percent. I can't compete. I, and I had to like relegate myself to like this, this all that I can manage as opposed to the best that I can do kind of a standard and 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 doing that kind of humbling myself and just accepting like that's just how it has to be I got A's and B's after and so so in, in a way it was the, the perspective the live experience I'm coming in with trying to, to compete and read every case you know and I always only getting to like 80 percent of my homework I couldn't read it all that broke me and then I'm just like well fuck it well like life is gonna figure it's, itself out mm-hmm. and so doing less I did better because I stopped trying to like rev my engine to maximum. It was more of like coast at 60. And it was like the turtle in the hair kind of a, a, a analogy, right? It's like they're fucking sprinting and killing themselves. And I'm just jogging at a, at, a, at, a, at a moderate pace. And in the end, I graduated law school. I, people didn't think I would. I passed the bar on the first time. People didn't think I would. I got two prestigious fellowships. George Soros has a fellowship that paid for my two years after law school. And his older, lesser billionaire brother, Paul Soros, paid for half of my living expenses and tuition 
through the New American Fellowship, things that UCLA law students hadn't received more than twice in its history, right? And to this day, UCLA Law Magazine, in, on their 75th anniversary, named me uh, one of their 70th uh, top alumni ever, right? And so I'm just like, again, the, the guy who didn't finish high school, I went to one year of high school, my GPA in, one, in high school was 0.8, hmm. right? I didn't go to, uh, uh, I graduated from DJJ, I went to community college, I, I, I made it to Berkeley, worked, got to law school, and it was just like, I know that I'm smarter than these people, maybe not at, at, at vocabulary level or, or, or testing, like whatever the met, met, the met, metrics are, but I knew that I can out thrive any one of them it, because it's more, the MMA analogy versus wrestling, right? They might be good at wrestling, but all around, I can beat you because the same thing that made me a good gang member made me a good attorney. Which is and what? That, Which is what? Beating, like, put it this way. When I was growing up, you had to be resourceful. So it's not just about fighting. It's about talking out into and out of situations, not being on the wrong side of the power brokers who could have the, 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 the capability of, of killing you, and, right? And, and, and not worrying about the battles that aren't really important, right? So it's politics, it's, it's, it's the economy, it's, it's power brokering, it's this emotional kind of back and forth. You can say a lot without saying anything, right? And I think going into this legal space, so much of it has been that. It's like mm -hmm. recognizing where the power lies, the power dynamics and the brokering with spoken and, and you know physical communication being what it is, right? And understanding that you might be a, be a much bigger, larger, more powerful person, but if I can leverage your inertia as you come at me and, and pivot um, and toss you with your own energy, like, let's do that because you have to be able to box and grapple, you know, and, and do all these things where some of these students that I went to school with, they're good brief writers, right? I never did that what Jamie was talking about. Like, I never tried for law review. I didn't do moot court. I didn't do mock trial. I didn't give a fuck about any of that. All I wanted to do was learn constitutional law, right? right? Because that is the universe of, of, of everything we're talking about. And if I understand the framework and the game that we're playing, I can compete at any level. Never mind one task, one tool. Like, if I don't have a hammer, I can still hammer a nail with a wrench, right? Like, J fine. Jamie. And, and on top of that, too, what Frankie said, I think you also learn how to trust who to trust, right? I mean, inside, right, it's a survival skill. I'm not going to gonna be on the yard with you if I don't know what you did and, and I know guys are looking for you. So, <laughs> right? and, and you can't be scary either. You have to be able to take risks. Right. You got to be, you got to be, yeah, hundred percent. And, and, and all that, what Frankie said, all that about the admissions committee and all that saying, oh, Frankie, it was a big thing. And we didn't mm -hmm. know if we were going to accept you. When he and I started this organization for system involved lawyers, who was the school that reached out and said, yeah, sure. You can host your first convening. And there's 200, you know, formerly incarcerated people in a room talking about how we're going to enter the legal profession, UCLA school of law. Right. So, I mean, you know, I think, you know, I think that's sort of what we push this for is that like, Folks like us bring a whole bunch to law schools, and I think law schools are short-sighted if <coughs> they don't give folks like us some Ah, this is great, bro. Like, what I wouldn't give to see an ex-convicted, I don't even want to say it, like, defend somebody that's on a murder trial. Like, no, well, wait. Could what, that happen? Can no, that actually happen? I, dude, what about this? What about the defendant, the defense attorney, or whatever? It's civil law. Let's just put it into whatever. That attorney goes into a court 10 years after they've been an attorney and they appear in front of a judge that sentenced them. Oh, that's crazy. Imagine that. And you probably would get that judge picked <clears throat> off the case because of whatever. <clears throat> but 
just to have the judge look up and see, you know, a guy that he sent away. Right, little Frankie Guzman. Now he's got the glasses. <laughs> yes, Your Honor. Love that, you guys. Do you remember me, motherfucker? Yeah. Guess what? Guess what? I'm gonna fucking file a motion and have your ass thrown off this case because I don't think I you can that. be unbiased. Yeah, I like that. I don't think you can be unbiased. <laughs> I don't think you got Your it. Your Honor. Hold on a second, guys. We got like a. A Gen Z kid in here who's uh, got an undergrad from UC Santa Cruz. He's a banana slug. Uh, you've heard what these guys have said about school. Yeah. Okay. Wh- did you have difficulties like that? Yeah. What are you What are you facing right now, young man? <coughs> uh, did I have difficulties with school? No. Uh, I mean, you no. just ta- you're talking to two guys right. that were on the inside that everyone put their money down that they weren't gonna fucking make it. Yeah. They came out fucking like. Like like two dogs with like gangbusters wouldn't let fucking go with the bone and fucking grizzled their way up into a preeminent position through school. How is it going for you? Grizzled. Um, hey man, it's it, it just makes you put everything into respect into perspective. Um, you know, obviously, like as a person that didn't didn't come from that background or didn't deal with a lot of stuff, you know, you're just like you know you're so focus on like oh I, I need to get like top like a, a's b's or whatever and then you kind of you know you hear these stories and yeah you're like oh shit like there's like, like you kind of realize that what you're thinking and what you're scared about is so stupid and <laughs> it's just you, you, you need you need it's like brian need, smith a little bit right? yeah Ryan Stevens, they both, right. and both guys just nodded they're like mm, that's right it's yeah. stupid you just need to rethink like how you want to like um move forward and you know there's there's people that have it worse than you, so you just gotta put that into consideration and um, just give it your all. And you know, I, I think that's a really. Do like, you, when you listen to guys like this, does a part of you feel like, man, maybe I should have gone to jail? Uh, no, no. but <laughs> <laughs> never no, got that. No, but it, no, but when I listen to these stories like these, it's just like it, it kind of um, just helps me out and like you know, like this this experience, like it, these are experiences that I'm not gonna go through. But listening to that, it's like I feel like I'm not 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 that I feel like I'm going through it, but I feel like I learned from it, and and it just the person that I was maybe six months ago is not the same person that that I am now. Listening yeah. to these people, yeah, talk about their stories, right? It's, it's a very it's a very unique uh, thing, and I you know um, it's just great to listen to. It. When I went to Stanford, I went to, I went to, in, to if you do want to go inside, they got room for you. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, they would love room. him. You know oh, what? are you kidding me? They would use them like a loofah. They'd I be w- just... <laughs> <laughs> I was working for uh, Healthright 360, Walden House, right, up in San Francisco for a while. And uh, I went and took... Uh, I had to go get a couple certs, certificates from San Francisco City College. So you you know Wayne, right? Um, I've Wayne, men- Wayne Garcia has been my mentor for 20, 24 years. He's the guy that saved my life, bro. Wayne Garcia. Yeah. Talk about him all the time, bro. The guy saved my life over and over. You know him? Yeah, I've met him. Yeah, I've known him. Yeah. That's my, my dude bro- right there. My, my, my brother Where just came home after 33 years, and um, he almost went to health right. He got redirected to, to Geo, and I thought it was all bad, but it turned out Geo was all right. He lived in the, in the Tenderloin for two years. Um, but um, he's doing well. He's been home for two months, or two years, rather. Got a, a job at Caltrans. He's now in the union, and was re- uh, recommended for early discharge after two years on parole, so I'm hopeful that uh, that works out for him. But, that's um, that's great, man. Yeah, Wayne Wayne went uh, Wayne ended up going over to he moved from Healthright. He's no longer there. He was there 25 years, and now he's at um 
I can't think of the name of it, man. But when I saw Wayne in the Bay, right? Because I mean, I grew up Sureño, and so I'm like all Cholo culture, and, and people up here don't look like that. Rasa doesn't. And so when I saw this guy with the big mustache, I'm like, Wayne's my guy. So I, yeah. I, you know, I, I started a conversation with him, and he just, he was always a good dude, very supportive, sent letters uh, for my brother's support, uh, his release. And so I'm just like, I, I like Wayne. Um, yeah, bro, at the very, very, I will end it with this. I'll say that at the worst places in my life, the three times that I was at the worst, worst, worst place in my life, the phone call all three times was to Wayne Garcia. And and when I called him, he was like, where are you at? I got you. Like, I love that man, bro. I love that man. Um, what I wanted to say was I had to go up and take some certs up at San Francisco City College because they asked me to work for health right as a, as a coordinator and I remember I went in and I took these little like that you had to take like some tests just so that they can kind of find out where you're at before you even take any classes yeah and so I get up there and I take these tests and I don't have a high school diploma or anything and I remember when they came back you get the results of where you're at and so yeah. I guess like I had like, like a seventh grade or something equivalent to seventh grade for math and that my my reading was decent or whatever but then when it got to the writing the writing they told me was it was way up here. They're like, you're university. You know that you're you should be really be studying writing. I was at like a university level for my writing. I was like, I mean, I called up everybody I knew. I was like, dude, I'm sitting in city college right now, and they're telling me, see, I could have been somebody, man. I always knew, and in my head, I'm going, I just knew that I could have been somebody. I was just young. I couldn't sit still. But when I hear you guys' story, it's like, I love it, man, because. Guys like us count ourselves out, man, before we ever get a chance to start. And I've watched gentlemen like you and other gentlemen be, do fantastic things, man. It's like, I think we snuff ourselves out. Along with society not giving us opportunities in different places we may live, sure. if we come from low economics. But I also know that a part of what we've been taught and what we believe in the narrative is that we can't. You know, and, and like somebody else on the show said, you know, you don't get um, attorneys and doctors and professional people coming into your. If you don't see that ever growing up, you never know that you can be that. Right. If the only guy that I seen my color was coming to cut the lawn or plumb the fucking backed up. I've never seen myself in those positions. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, that's why I think this is really important for this show. Not only for gentlemen and men and women that are incarcerated, right. but for men and women that are coming from places we come from that don't know it's possible. You guys make it possible. I think it's, it's great, brother. It's and you really know, important. Let, me, let me ask these guys this, and you know, you can, you don't have to give any names, but just to, just to be fucking real, because I, I listened to this and, and everything, <clears throat> and what you said, Steve, I think is really powerful, which is, yeah, we know society has slotted people into certain fucked up things. But we've also seen plenty of examples where somebody had an opportunity, but they themselves either couldn't handle the accountability or responsibility of success or whatever. Uh, um, Jamie or Frankie, have you guys ever dealt with a guy that was or a gal that was like this close they had all the tools. They just couldn't get out of their way. And if you did, like, what what was that story? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the moral character, you know, I have a lot of clients, and some, you know, are sort of get, do get in their own way a little bit. And and I, I'll say, I'll say it this way: 
you talked a little bit about the system and, and the fact that, you know, the bar requires you to do this. And, but so, and, and I have a lot of clients that sort of balk at that, right? They go like, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to say this? Why do I have to behave this way? Contrite and all this stuff. And here's what I tell them. You want to change the system? Great. But let's get you your bar card before, you, you, you know, that once we get you in the club, right. And once we, once you have that level of influence, let's talk about changing the system. Cause I look at my job as, as a piece, right? My job is to get you licensed after that, right? Let now let's work to change the system. Now let's do that on the front end, sort of putting up that fight is not going to serve you. Right. Not going to serve you well trying to get in. Right. It just, that's just the way it is. Right. Um, I don't like the rules. You know, I, there's certain things I disagree with, right. What the bar does. Uh, and, but I understand those are the rules. And so my job is to help folks navigate those rules. I hope they change eventually. And if I can sort of help enough people who've had these experiences get in, my hope is that that critical mass will get those changes going. So that's sort of where I come at it from. And so, yeah, I've had clients that just simply, you know, yeah, I took a plea. Why'd you take a plea? Well, you know, I was sitting in, sitting in jail for X amount of time and it was a mm-hmm. time served deal. So I took it. Did you do it? No, but I wanted to get the fuck out. Oh, I get that, right? But you can't go say that, right? This isn't a mm-hmm. place we're going to renegotiate your plea. And well, that's, that's not going to happen here. That's not the, the forum for this. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the kinds of the kinds of clients that I have that, that sort of, uh, you know, can be a little, it can be a little more difficult for them, right? But I get where they're coming from. And so we kind of speak the same language. Right. What about you, Frankie? Have you ever had a situation that was just a heartbreaker where you're like, man, you were this close. If you could have well, just wrapped your head around it a little bit or, or whatever. I'll say yes, and it's probably the, 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 my com- the, the overwhelming experience, right? And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in, in a fairly big gang. I had a lot of homies. How many of them made it to college? Very few. How many of them were smart? A lot of them, right? And, and so as you see us all like salmon swimming upstream, like how many of us are going to lose our skin and, and die before we get to the place where we're destined? Many people, because of emotions, are just going to bow. Like, for example, there were many times when I'm like, I just wish I had a kid. I have hmm. no, I have no real emotional connection to anybody in this life, and all I really want is someone that's going to love me unconditionally because I don't have that, right? And, and I think that many people fall victim to that, end up having kids too young before they've had a, a foundation. And in some ways, that is... They're undoing, right? There are other people who get very close and get a DUI when they're in college on a scholarship, right? Me, I had a, my uncle used to always tell me, like, Frankie, you're so too smart for your own good because you think you know everything. And that kind of thinking is going to get you caught up. And that's exactly what happened. And I think that's what happens with most, many people. But some people don't get a second chance, right? Many people get washed up, get done dirty when other people, and I don't, I'm putting race aside, just the system is very punitive and, and, and doesn't set people up for, for, for success, which is why having had the opportunity to get out in my mid-20s and have opportunity to go to school and struggle and navigate through all that and, and be protected by a community from myself sometimes, from my own best thinking, um, I made it to where I am, and which is why I've, I've focused on youth justice. You know, I, I, I don't respect the rules. So I, like Jamie says, I became a lawyer to change the rules. If I don't, if I don't like the rules and don't respect them, why play by them? I'd just rather change them. And, 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 and so that's really been my, my whole approach is, is change laws to make sure that the laws don't disproportionately disadvantage young people who don't have a chance in the first place, but instead give them the opportunities to make good from those mistakes, right? So that we can make lemons, lemonade out of lemons, right? And so, so much of what I've learned in my life is, yeah, kids will do the damnedest things sometimes because of emotional process and you're prioritizing the wrong things and, and, and aren't playing the right game that we've been talking about this whole time, but it's not their fault because life is, doesn't come with a blueprint and we right. don't, 
all have people that are going to protect us all the time from ourselves. Right. And there is a machine out there that is more than willing to chew you up and shit you out. And I'm trying to make it so that that machine touches far fewer kids. And instead that there are other de more developmentally appropriate and I would say culturally rooted opportunities for young people to develop a positive self-identity, to develop self-efficacy and find a place in life that, that feeds into like the positive narrative that is you have value, you have a, a purpose as opposed to like what I grew up thinking, which is we ain't shit, which is why no one invests in us. And that negative self, kind of that, that self-talk and negative self-identity made me hate people that look like me because I wasn't raised to be suicidal. I was raised to be a little more, I mean, homicidal maybe is the wrong word, but mm -hmm. outwardly aggressive. And usually it was people that reminded me of the piece of shit that I thought I was, right? So I see a dude with face tags, I'm like, fuck that guy. <laughs> I want to hurt him. And, and, and the face tags themselves are, I think, a, a, a symbol of the pain and, and the self, self scarring and self hating and, and you're cutting yourself off, of course from a lot is. of opportunities. He's, I see the gang stuff, right? Yeah, he uh, dude, he's making such an interesting point that kind of goes along a little bit with what what I said about Nipsey and Emilio Rivera's what he was saying, yeah, which was he when he saw that actor on that stage, mm -hmm. right, that was playing a part and he was the real thing. He got in the front row, and his attitude at the time kind of was like, "Man, fuck that fake! I'm the real thing. I'm right. gonna right." It's that same. It looks like whatever, but what he was reacting to a little bit was the fact that this guy was up on a stage doing something that soon Emilio realized, "I want to do that too, man. Like I love, I I want to be up there." Right. That's an <laughs> an interesting and a strange point that there's a point of hate and recognition or identification. Sure. Well, I think it's uh, like a jealousy thing too. It's weird. Wait, wait, I, man, this is such a. Crazy... I hate you, but I want what you got. I hate well, you. I hate you because what I'll say is I, for me it was it was an issue of self hate, right? Right. You're, you're, I hate you're, you you're conditioned you... to not like yourself because right. of all the things that you think you 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 are not the good person. You're not the valuable right. person in society. So the reflection in the mirror is right. what I'm like. It isn't. I'm not. I don't even see that person's humanity. Right. All I see is the shit. The, the image that I, that I don't like about myself. But right, that's right? the point of identification. So what he's saying is, is like if I'm recognizing something, I not consciously understand this yet, right? I'm just reacting. But he's, he's saying I'm a recognizing a reflection and then I'm directing my self-hatred outward towards that reflection, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Sean, you weren't raised in the barrio. Nope. But can you mm -hmm. identify with how Frankie felt that- self-hatred? Yeah. Absolutely. That nobody invested in me. Yeah. I'm not going to invest in myself. Mm -hmm. How did that manifest in your life? Being in the kind of like a mediocre suburbs and what, where were you? Uh, I grew up in uh, like Fair Oaks. Right. Which yeah. is a suburb Sacramento. of, okay. It's mo right. So moderately like, you know. Right, right below uh, Folsom. <laughs> okay. And so, um, so. What do, where do you how what is your approach? I mean, we're listening to a situation where these two gentlemen went into the system and then they're coming out trying to think like there's got to be a better way. And I got to say, like, to a certain extent, there's already some dialogue around that. I, but there's not a lot. Of, I don't feel like there's not a lot of dialogue around a situation which is yours, which is like a broken home, Sacramento suburb. You weren't really poor, but at the same time, you were kind of neglected. Yeah. And you were kind of just left to figure out whatever the fuck you were going right. to do. No leadership, no guidance, no role model, that sort of thing. Yeah. So and, what do you take away from what they're saying or how do you relate it to you? Well, you know, what's funny is that you were saying 
somebody said, I can't remember who it was, do you wish you had gone to prison? Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about that. Like, how how eye-opening it would be to be locked in a place that you knew you wanted to get out of and you knew you wanted to be successful and you had a lot of time to think about what you would do different. Right. Because you had no other choice. Mm. Right. But to stare at the wall and think about what I could do, what I can do, what I can be. Right. Um, what an opportunity. Not, I'm not saying it's great to be, you know, locked up in prison or yeah. be in jail or have to, you know, pay for a crime that you committed or whatever. But... Or were accused of committing. It is a lot more clear to you to be in that situation than it is to just kind of simmer and be left al- alone and kind of adrift at sea, right? Steve, think about Does that. that. He, yeah, it totally makes sense. Steve, and I think part of people's attraction to people who've been incarcerated, it's not all of it, but some of it seems directed at like a kind of like, man, you were put in a, such a bad situation that some things got real clear. And the re- Absolutely. Right. And 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 you you sometimes interact with guys who've had like kind of cushy life growing up. Mm-hmm. And they're floundering. They've been they fucking, you know, they've got money to burn and they can't get out of bed and they don't know what it's what does it all mean? I don't know. And they probably look <laughs> at your situation and they're like, man, if I would have just fucking been put in the fucking pokey, I probably would have I at least would have known I fucked up and I yeah, I would say that if you can, first off, for one, I learned a lot in prison and I utilize a lot of what I learned in prison in my daily life. So the prison wasn't complete rap. You learn a lot of different things. And if you might be a certain type of person that might be, I don't know, you can't get up in the morning, you're lazy, you're kind of messy and you come from where I come and go in prison, all that's going to get taken care of. You're going to figure out how to clean. You're going to figure out how to get up in the morning. You're going to make your bed. You're going to exercise. You're going to learn to fight. You know what I'm saying? Right. You're going to come. So there are there are pieces of it, as sick as it's set up, the whole thing, but there are pieces of stuff I took from prison that I incorporated in my life that have helped me. Right. Absolutely helped me. Right. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll say that, but at this, on the same token, I mean, like, kind of going back to what I was saying was, I personally didn't know you could be an attorney if you had a, any kind of death, or if you even used, like, a gun. Like, I know that they took my right away to have a gun. I know people that can't have a gun because they sold a piece of dope. So... I, and I also know that there's jobs that I was told I could never have because I was a convicted, a, a convicted felon. I could never, you had to be bonded. You can never be bonded. You can never, da, da, da. so when these, right now as we're getting on, on this show, this is the first time that I've ever heard that if somebody died and you're any kind of way responsible for it, or if you did any kind of an armed robbery, I thought you could never be an attorney. Or a judge, or a we're run for politics, and I'm just starting to find out some of this right now from you guys. The crazy part is, is that America is a prison crime country. When you think about how America was founded, one of the first things that this fucking country did was it said, "Well, if you owe money, that can't put you in prison anymore." Think about the type of person that was like, when we start a country, the one of the first fucking bedrock rules is going to be if you owe someone money, that can't land you in prison anymore. 
The only type of person that would think of that is the type of people that would fucking take out crazy loans they couldn't pay back and would and wind up in jail in England. So that's the mentality to a certain extent of the founding fathers when they first start thinking. And they also start thinking like no more cruel and unusual punishment. No more any of that shit. Also, you can't testify against yourself. Because in England, the king used to fucking twist your nipples until you finally said, fine, I did it. Right. Right? We're done with that. Now, they've been eroding some of those things as corporations got bigger and all this other bullshit. Yes. Okay, yes, they've, been, right. they've been watering it down. <laughs> right. But what people, I don't think, fully understand, these so-called you know, conservatives or these so-called constitutionalist assholes, what they don't really understand is that America really is a country founded for criminals by criminals. Damn, dude. It's also, it's also self-perpetuating. And, and let me, if you indulge me for like two seconds. Yeah. Frank, Frankie's heard the story. I mean, in 2008, I became a barred attorney in December. So I was licensed. And I started working with a, a, a private attorney in San Diego. We were doing you know, homicide cases. I was sitting in the second chair. He was sort of teaching me, right? I was learning how to do things. And uh, a year later, I got called for jury duty. And I showed up and I walked in and I did my little thing. I sat in the jury lounge. I watched Rob Lowe on TV tell me how wonderful jury duty was. <laughs> and then they said, you know, you got to fill out your questionnaire. And I, if you check number seven, you stand up and you can leave. And that was if you have been convicted of a felony. So I checked number seven and I went to see the clerk and she goes, yeah, you're never going to get called again because you got a felony conviction. And I said, hold up. So you're telling me I can try a case in the same courthouse up the hallway with my co-attorney, a homicide case, death penalty case. But I can't sit on a jury in maybe even a minor like fence dispute in a civil matter. She goes, if you don't like it, write your congressman. So I'm like, well, this is crazy. Like, this can't be true. So I looked it up. And in 29 states, you can become an attorney, but you can never serve as a juror again. So that became my focus of all the work that I did for years. And so what I tried to do was do research to try to get this right back for folks who had felony convictions. And thanks to Senator Skinner up in the Bay and other people, I mean, last year we got it SP 310, which means that anyone that has a felony conviction can now serve as a juror, unless you're on active state, you know, state supervision, or you got a 290 registrable. Everyone else can serve. Wow. Um, and, and that's a huge change, right? Right. Because, like, yeah, it's you, look, you rumble a case and you look out there and all the jurors don't look anything like you. Right. right? So, right? That's a problem, <clears throat> right? And that's a self-perpetuating thing, right? Exactly. And so that, even though that doesn't sound like a huge change, right? It is a huge change. It is Because a huge now change. folks like us will be sitting in judgment of, right. know, and, and, and we should be allowed to do that. We should be able to synthesize the evidence and from our perspective. And I think that's a that's a, 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 a huge. huge change in California. Absolutely. So 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 it, it, along with all of that, right? Now now you got to think also how did this country come up, right? Right. So also the reason why the fucking Americans broke off from the British because they didn't want to pay their taxes, which is about as criminal as you can get. And 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 all those charges, by the way, were legitimate charges. It wasn't it wasn't bullshit. On top of that, they were stealing land to make the country. On top of that, they were stealing labor to make the country. And so when you look back, because the revolutionaries... And let's not kill people to take the land, to have the slaves work the land. Oh, I know that. I'm an American. I'm an American. That was just, oh, that's just good old fashioned fucking pirating and and pillaging. That's (laughs) all that is. Right. That's all part of the history. Right. And then that criminal organization becomes the official organization known as the government. 
Right. And the certain rights that were put in place or whatever, part of that did reflect that in order to have the kind of freedom that we wanted, that, that we claimed we wanted in this country, that was at least put on the paper, that that kind of freedom um, is going to require that the state needs to be fucking pushed back a little bit. Like the state's got to come with more than like. So this is why it's important. Reasonable down in the criminal level is a really high fucking standard. That's why guys, if you can afford it, guys like OJ can get off because you have a cop lying in court on a murder charge. That's almost enough. Be like, it looks like he did it, but we got a uniformed police officer lying in court. That's enough for like, nah, he's out. Hmm. So the prosecution system develops, like you said, Steve, a county system that pressures guys that can't afford real like the big attorneys right. to take deals. No, we no longer have to go in and panel jurors and get through. We can try to do all this shit on an informal deal basis, right? I think it's so important to have guys and gals that have been punished by that system to also be enforcing and informing those same laws. I think that they can bring to it an understanding or a perspective that's not going to be get by guys like Bush Jr. who got busted busted for coke in a DUI and still became president. If you don't don't think there's a separate set of rules (sighs) for certain individuals, then you got another thing coming. You're motherfucking crazy. And and dude, I tell you right now, man, um, these... I forgot what I was going to say. That's <laughs> what I fucking wanted to say. But go on. No. What was it you were going to say? Oh, I don't. I, now I forgot. I was completely going to say we something. We were else. right in the, in the grist of like guys that and gals that have experienced the deal on another level coming in and informing and enforcing. Nothing? All right. No. Nope. Anyway, the point of the matter is, guys. So, I mean, so, so my biggest thing for me in the law, maybe you guys can speak to this, is that. The Constitution has set and 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 the amendments have set certain standards that we have yet to meet. That's the way I, I feel. There are certain things that are said in those documents that in practice we haven't achieved at all. And there has been a separate informal system that's been really set up through the court actions and Supreme Court decisions. That is making it real difficult to get back to what this country is supposed to be about, at least in its intention. Frankie, you look like you're either going to shit your pants or you got something to say. What do you? No, what, well, what I'm are just your, like rules are rules, but people, what are your thoughts on that? Pe- people are flawed, so right. So we always have this, you know, our, our laws are righteous and just. Like, sure, okay, like concepts can be pure, but actions rarely are, right? And 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 so when you have these rules that are are, are pretty clear, you will have self-interested, I mean, let's just say what it is. We have powerful white men who have the discretion to do or not do, right? Just because a law is on the books doesn't mean that you must enforce. We, we, we grant the administrators of justice a, a fair amount of discretion to prioritize certain policies. So I'll take, for example, when I moved to Oakland from, from Southern California, it was amazing to me to see so many people of color on the street rolling blunts, smoking weed at a time when it was illegal and the police standing 15 feet from them or rolling by and didn't care, that's because it might be illegal, but they don't have to prioritize enforcing that particular law. They can choose to focus on, on other things. And so when this plays out, 
like for example, I was once at a retreat in in, in, in uh, was like out here. What is it, in Malibu or um, out there by uh, what is it, uh, Will Rogers State Park? And and yeah. so there's a we ran a home and we're all advocates and we're retreating about youth justice. And there's a woman who comes in to clean. And she's looking at their, our notes on the walls and she says, what do you guys do? And I explained to her, you know, we're, we're, we're reformers for youth justice. And she said, why would you do that? Like these commit, kids committed crimes. And I said to her, imagine a situation, a world where whatever community you come from, let's say all the police are black, the mayor is black, the governor is black, the people in power are black. And they've decided that they're going to police your community and in particular focus on cocaine use, you know, sexual abuse, domestic violence, child molestation, and they're going to look pretty hard. I'm like, how long do you think? She said, my husband would be in jail. <laughs> she volunteered that, right? So I'm just like, right. So like after generations of that, how well do you think your children and grandchildren will fare? And she thought about it. She said, you know, I've never thought about that because so many of us would then be incarcerated if, if we were policed that way. And I said, exactly. So coming back to where, you know, what you raise is, yes, we have laws and they might be fully justifiable because they, they make sense. But the way in which we prioritize and we resource you know, like the enforcement of those laws is, is a whole different story. And so like we can we can acknowledge that some people, all people are wrong for these things, but how we treat them, some get counseling, some get jail, you know, some get, you know, therapeutic supports, some get probation with, with coercive practices and punishment at every turn. And, 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 you know, people in jail will have fucked up or have challenges and, you know, and, and it's intergenerational that you will set a, a family three to seven years, generations back. And, and, and so all I'm saying is, we created laws to protect the interests of powerful white people and violence. Like, so some, uh, I think, uh, was it uh, Steve that talked about losing gun rights? Yeah, we will never have a, a conversation about taking white men's guns rights, but disarming black and, and native and, and, and brown people at every opportunity. You fucking steal a lotto ticket, you're losing your gun rights, yeah. right? You're losing all kinds of rights that you will never even entertain a conversation about doing that to white folk in, in a systematic way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so right. it, it is discretion at, at the core. Jamie, the ability to, to do and not do based on your own priorities is really where things fall apart. And, and listen, I'm a huge proponent of um, equality and stuff like that. And I do acknowledge that this country has suffered from institutional racism stuff. But I'm also t I'm also conscious of the fact that there's a kind of a weird tension and maybe, Jamie, you can kind of talk a little bit about this with prison reform and, and other things that you've experienced, where it's like, on the one hand, you can't really say, okay, well, there isn't racism in the country. And then on the second side, that dialogue seems to leave a good chunk of white people out because technically they're white, but like they're not necessarily benefiting in the way or somehow. And so I, I'm always like, how do we bridge that gap? Like, how do we... How do we change the discussion so that a huge group of people who are are actually mistreated by the system as well, maybe not the same way, maybe not the same way. How do we bring them into the discussion? Jamie, do you have any thoughts on that? And I, yeah, yes. I, mean, I, yeah, I think there's a socioeconomic component to this as well. Right. I mean, I think there's a racial component, but I also think poor white folks, uh, yep. you know, are, are, are suffer at the hands of the criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, also, and I think that, you know, when we, I think there's also, you know, a measure of a little bit of structural racism in reform efforts, right? I mean, I think that there needs, that needs to go, we, we need to, that needs to go away, I think, in, in the reform efforts, because I think, well, you know, look, if you held a tray and you walked through chow line, right, with your head on a swivel, then, I mean, we're all in this together, right? We all speak sort of the same language when it comes to formerly incarcerated people. And I, I think, 
you know, I look, I would love to see that bridge gapped or excuse me, that gap bridged. But, you know, I, and I do think it, it has to do with with poverty. Look, I didn't come up wealthy. Um, I grew up in, you know, neighborhoods that were, you know, at least when I was a real young kid considered sort of a white ghetto. Right. And it, I, I ended up in prison. Um, would I have ended up in prison if I if I wasn't that person? I didn't grow up in that neighborhood. I had money. I don't know. You know, um, I don't think so. <laughs> so who knows? But uh, I do think that I do think that it, it comes down to you know anything that sort of divides us. I think is what they're looking for, right? I think that that having this population be fragmented, right? That that helps them, right? Keep right. power. And, and I hate that 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 happens in reform movements. I like to see it all coalesce and, and work in the same direction. Because here's what happens, right? We reform something. And we, we target sort of low-hanging fruit, for lack of a better sort of expression, right? So we say, okay, the, the low-level drug offenders, and, and Frankie's going to hate me for saying this, right? But low-level drug offenders, juveniles, right? That's easy. That's That reform is, is I think those, that's a sympathetic, right? But what about the, the guys who you know did a robbery, right? Have two homicides or whatever that are still, right? When we bifurcate efforts of reform, I think we sort of reinforce the badness of the people that aren't included in the reform. Act. Right. Like, 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 like there's a deserving right. r- r- right. criminal and, and there's an undeserving criminal. Right. So what I would like to see is, you know, look, let's, let's have real reform across the board, right? And when we pick and choose groups, yeah, it's great for that group, but nece- you know, necessarily there's another group that we're saying something about by not including them, right? right. And I think that's that that's a little bit of a danger of this. So the yeah, crazy why part. Think, why the- do you think I'm going to have any objection to that? Well, no, because I mean, I think it. I think juvenile reform is. I mean, people are sympathetic to. I mean, at least kids. I am. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking no, out of no, time. You're like, not, you're I not. feel like helping kids is something that you ought to want to do, right? Help right. Kids. Everybody. Everybody feels bad for the street urchin that you know didn't have a fucking pot to piss in, and the, and the, but they didn't do anything as adults after that. Yeah. So right. I agree with you. It's easier to help kids than it is to help a fucking six two. 180 pound fucking tattooed armed robber who enjoys robbing. Yeah. Right? You you might not get an old lady to give 10 bucks to that cause, but if you said, look at poor little Johnny, he's only 12 and he, he still has his whole life is in front of him, it's easier to get an old lady to put a, bu- a money in that. Frankie, do I mean, you- let me let me clarify. I don't think reform efforts are easier, right? I certainly don't think that, right? But what I do think is 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 how the public views them. I think, yeah, garnering sort of popular support for things, you know, might be a little simpler when we're talking about certain certain folks who commit crimes versus others. You right? know what I think is real fucked up? I think what's real fucked up is that like James Dean and all these other fucking like oh, those are all images of like little hoodlums and crooks and blah blah blah, right? Boy. Right, the bad boy. And somehow that's okay. But the real life bad boys, they don't get shit. That's like, nah, no, no, sorry. Well, I, I also want to just remind folks, like, um, you know, until very recently, California had a huge problem with prosecuting children as young as 14 as adults. So right. while we can have a conversation about young people are, 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 are more deserving of leniency, there's a whole lot of kids that were just carved out, carved out of being children at all, right? That's a great right. point. That's a great point. Frankly. When you talk about from you know from 2000 to, to until 19, what was it, 2000, uh, 2016 when we abolished direct file, which was a law that I – so first of all, I'll just say, I, my focus coming out of law school was ending the harshest punishments against young people on the books, life without parole, right. you know, di- prosecutorial direct file, transferring to the adult system because I knew that there was a, a huge hole – where they were like, childhood doesn't apply to some kids. And mainly in California, 90% of all those kids were, were black and Latino young people, sure. right? And, and, and that, that was a challenge. That was a problem. And so for me, I was having to engage in conversations about 
murder, kids who committed multiple murders. And and, the, mm-hmm. and the, I did mm-hmm. see the deserving and non-deserving play that conversation, which is why I don't give any attention to it. Like, I don't believe that that should be something that we do. And I think, right. put, I would say people that are like politically like cowards don't want to fight that fight because their heart really isn't in it. And they're willing yep. to cut some people off. Like, yep. I don't subscribe to that way of thinking or advocating. I think that that politically it's a reality, something that we have to contend with, but not something that we have to give up, right? And so for me, I don't give a fuck what the kid did. I'm an expert witness in in, in trials almost every time where the kid kills somebody. And my position is most kids, if not all kids, can rehabilitate. Matter of fact, most kids, if not all kids, will age out of crime if we do nothing. Brain science has shown that even kids who commit the most serious crimes or kids who are persistent at, at, at committing crimes will age out at 94%. 94 percent of young people who committed either a big serious crime or many little ones will age out by the time of 24 or 25 rather which to me means sure then then we have a restorative timeout where like we don't we don't sometimes we have to remove a kid from his community and and as bad as that sounds like yeah that kid probably is going to kill somebody again and i'm not going to be a person who's going to lie about that but the idea is that we can't put them in a death chamber uh you know a a, a dungeon and somehow think that that's going to help the person knowing right. that that person's going to look at people say well we're going to send him away to make sure he never hurts anybody oh really level four prison yard right and then <laughs> you have these thousands of kids who are just now like raising themselves with the guards don't talk to you they're right. all under the shade fucking eating flower seeds or they're in the gun tower fucking waiting for you to do yeah. something and kill you and everybody else is just being raised by people who've never been raised Bunch so of sick people. They they are there for a long time, but there's a lot of people going into the revolving door who will be affected. So the more that we invest in throwing these kids away and 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 invest in hopelessness for this whole generation, they might not be out anytime soon. But the people who have to go in for a short time will come out fucked up and fuck up our communities, and we have to pay. The people in Calabasas or fucking anywhere else, Pacific Palisades are making policies that don't affect them because they're watching the news. They're afraid they're, right. they are victims in their own mind, but the right. true victims, the victims in the defendant box, they have no compassion for who are foster kids who are homeless, who have all kinds of stuff. And yeah, mm. they kill somebody, but there is a better way of dealing with them that makes them better and not worse. And that's why like, I'm like, I'm all about going to bat for the kids who kill somebody because I feel like they will change and we can invest in systems that'll make them worse or make them better. And I'm more of a solutions kind of oriented person. So I'm like, yeah, let, let's go. And I so, think, I think for me, that, youth is, 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 you know, up to 25. I think that that, man. I think that that goes a little bit to what uh, Jamie was saying to an extent, which is, that, I agree with them, which is why I'm like, why would you think no, that? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I was just, <laughs> I'm tired, man. I got Murderers are my favorite people, man. <laughs> you know, like shit. Both of my brothers committed murder. Like I, how dare I go for, I, I, for a long time, I didn't even touch low-level misdemeanor diversion. Like, who <laughs> I'm interested in the guillotine. Those are the kids you walk. That, those are the kids, though. When you walk around with the clipboard, right? The story is, oh yeah, you know, kids are getting caught with dime bags and getting sent into DJ. Oh, let's 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 reform for them, right? But I agree with you, right? The folks who commit murder, those are the, those are the ones that you know. Those are harder cells, right? So so reformers are like, uh, you know, let's try this first, right? Let's get to those kids later. And and exactly, Frankie. And that's why we started this thing together. We agree. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, you know, part of the problem that we've got, you know, you know, some of the stuff is legacy shit that goes back to old economic and race, religious, like all that old shit, right, that we so-called are supposedly so far uh, advanced from now today, which is untrue. I mean, we just saw just, you know, what? Six months ago, four months ago, uh, uh, our nation was attacked by uh, traitors. 
And there's yeah. a whole there's a whole group of people that think that that, that was okay. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm like, that blows my mind. But okay. But we do have a competitive capitalist system. And it's not a free market because there's little advantages and thumbs being put on the scales to advantage certain groups over other groups. And if you've already got money, I'll just take it out of race. If you already got money, then you're encouraged in our society to advantage your children and your community by keeping that thumb on the scale. That's how you keep the money coming and rolling to your nudnik kids who get more than a second chance. They, they, they actually get like three, four, five, six chances because you play golf with the judge, right? And you can tell the judge on an unofficial basis, like, listen, little Timmy's not that bad. Sure, he was jerking off in the car in broad daylight, but he's a good kid. <laughs> <laughs> you always come up with some crazy-ass crime. It's a- yeah, he was touching himself in front of people. But it's yeah. from the depraved imagination. Yeah. No, he was shoving that man in his ass, making, but he's not a bad I'm kid. Just make, listen, Frankie. He was checking his own oil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he keeps on checking I'm his own oil. I'm running a court low. I'm running a court low. No, I've never heard that before. <laughs> but the point, but I'm just making sure that uh, you're listening, Steve. Thank God. Yes. All right. But the point of the matter is, is like, so, so the system, the economic system that we got set up is almost set up, Frankie, so that, yeah, man, yeah, all those poor kids that I see on my television screen, yeah, it's bad for them. And I might even pay a little to charity. In the hopes that it stays there. I don't want that to come over to where I'm at. I put my 100 bucks on your little <laughs> thing, and that should be enough to tell the forces that be that, hey, keep me out of that. How are we going to really change that, Frank? Come on, quit fucking with us. Well, I mean, for me, it's about diversity, right? Like, if we continue to allow the colonizer, the settler, uh, to, to run these systems, they're going to continue to do the boarding school thing and the fucking, you know, the slavery thing. Like, when, when a kid gets locked up, it is far cheaper to divert the young person to a community-based organization with people with, with treatment that is community-based, trauma-informed, you know, culturally relevant. But that means you're investing in these communities and you're employing people who look like the kid but older. We don't want that. We want to continue to fund these uh, multi-million, billion-dollar you know, enterprises that are basically for-profit in some ways, prisons, right? So Totally. So, Public, in, uh, what do you call these, these private interests, you know, whether it's you know, pro- the probation industry, these service providers like GEO, you know, whatever, even health, right? Like, it, no, no, no offense, my man. No, but, but know, it's, it's the like, truth. It's the truth. People, people, are, people are benefiting. So why won't we invest in things that work when we know that they, they, they're a fraction of the cost, but they look like we're giving charity to these savage people, right? And, and, and I don't mean that, but it's just like that no, is I know. I know the exactly unspoken thing. But we would trust a fucking jailer. A person who has no skill, no real value to contribute to to society, except they will lock a person up that we're afraid of. We're afraid of the 17-year-old black and brown kid with tattoos from South or East L.A. And we'll invest to keep them locked up. We will not invest in ways that will build them up. Because, you know, and so I I think, and this is not even like the silver bullet, but I think the more that we have people with those experiences being in those positions, we will improve upon our investments in ways that are more health focused that are more humane and and are more effective than what we have now which is a legacy of dealing with black and brown children by removing them from their communities cutting their hair off teaching them a new language requiring them to conform and when they come back they have a hard time dealing with their new with their environment because they were not set up for success in the free world they were they were 
conditioned to be good prisoners. Which right. they, 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 they took us, it, it took us decades to start using people who actually had been in the system to help with reentry. So how serious were we right. about it? Right. right? For right. years, we those folks couldn't get jobs in reentry. Right. The cities weren't hiring them. Now all of a sudden, we're this workforce that's going to help them with reentry. We've been around forever. Right. Why haven't we used folks who've been through the system right. to help with people coming home? That's just started really in the last five years. But guys, mm-hmm. Jamie, really, I mean, now take us to the next because I'll be uh, I'll be straight. Look, I, I went to UC Berkeley, go Bruins. I'm a fucking super liberal guy. Right. I've been hearing this talk for fucking decades, bro. Decades. It's going to change. Shit. We had a black president. It's going to change. Right. Jamie, where are we really, how are we really get out? How, where's the country really going to go? Jobs are changing. I mean, what the fuck? Honestly, Look, it's I mean, driving me crazy. I, I, I'm a huge believer in post-release. I think education is key to power, right? I think Agreed. that folks ought to pursue education. Um, I work, you know, we, I do work with Project Rebound. Frankie did some stuff with Underground Scholars or was one up at Berkeley, right? I mean, two organizations in California that are amazing, right? I think also, though, we need to start thinking about after your bachelor's degree, right? Are you going and getting a master's in political science? Are you going and getting a law degree? Are you going and doing something like, because those are the positions that affect policy. Like it or not, right? We live in a world where the more letters after your name, the more people take you seriously. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it is in this work. And I think that, you know, we need to start sort of opening doors for folks beyond a bachelor's degree so that we can get people in positions of, of policy influence like Frankie is, right? I mean, Frankie made his own position. I mean, he didn't tell you that, but I mean, you know, he decided I want to do this thing and it didn't exist. So he created it, right? I think there's a, a lot of people out there that, that, that if we push them sort of to higher education, to sort of positions of influence, law degrees, things like that. Um, I think that's how you change it. I think a critical mass of people in that world is how things start to move slowly. Right? And start I, to change. My feeling is, I agree with that, and I agree with what Frankie said. My feeling is this, and, I, and I'm no genius, right? I mean, I'm fucking checking my own oil. But you're a lawyer. I'm checking my own yeah, oil. But you're a lawyer. <laughs> I'm, smelling my, I'm smelling my thumb right now as we talk. I'm smelling my thumb right now. No, but... <laughs> But the thing that I that that I look at is I I think education is definitely the major piece of this and it's and I don't even I think they've diluted undergraduates the, the undergraduate degree they've diluted because they the schools just sprang up like fucking and they they'll take any loan money and anything to try to make some bucks right and all of a sudden everyone's got an undergrad and really what you're learning in undergrad is a lot of shit you should have learned in public high school. Because public high school has been fucking totally gutted, right? So my my feeling is that the movement, we got to start as young as possible. And the movement's got to be something to the effect of that the American public education from kindergarten or whatever it is all the way through 12. And yes, all of us got to pay for it. I don't care if you're rich or what. We all got to pay some fucking taxes. Wake up and smell the goddamn coffee. That's how it's done is we, no matter what city, location, region you're in, if you're in an American public school, you are getting bar none the best education money, money can, can buy. buy. We're the richest fucking, we, 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 why can't we accomplish that? Because, 
Because of the uh, because of the system is set up. Means you got to pay teachers a livable wage to livable. Oh, yeah. They should be rich. They should be rich. Money. And privatization. Yeah. People, it, it, people, it. people with money divest because we're not sitting in our school with those kids. So right. we will pay a, a higher premium for our private school. And, and abandon the public school. Yeah, for yeah, and yeah. No way we're paying taxes. You payers. said that. You said that about private schools. Let me tell you something, Steve. Let me just let me let me just put a little fucking uh, scene together for you. All right. I'm gonna just paint a little picture. <laughs> please, all right, please. All right. All right. You're fucking Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. Right. You're one of these big titty billionaire guys that with a fucking Kirkland pants. Right. Okay. You got a ton of fucking dough. Right. You spend all your time. Beating everybody in the world. Now, life's a real son of a bitch. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you got a son, Egbert, and he's a fucking idiot. (laughs) But he's your son. Right. But he's a fucking idiot. Mm. Right? Your son, Egbert, is going to have to go out and try to make his way in the world. But you know he's an idiot because you built blah, 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 blah. So how are you going to ensure... That your son Egbert's gonna make it. First and foremost, you're not gonna help all the hungry poor kids that got some direction. You're not gonna be like, yeah, I'll put some money towards public education. I'll do all that because there's a lot of kids without anything. They got a lot to prove and they're motivated. Egbert's not motivated because he's been growing up on this giant tit. He's got everything at it. So you then go to a private school. And you throw a lot of money at a private school. And that private school has guys like Frankie Guzman who finally sold out and said, fuck it, I'm going to teach the rich people or whatever and finally cash in on all my shit. And they got Jamie who's tired of fucking living in a one-bedroom apartment. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go there and teach wrestling. So you get to hire the best of the best of the best of the best to supplement your idiot kid, Egbert. Mm. And then he goes on to be able to get into the college you went to because you donated a wing. Right. Right? And so a real hungry kid like fucking Sean, fighting weight, never had nothing, has a lot to prove and would fucking just knock it out the park, doesn't even have a chance because Egbert's fucking been pampered and pushed through this system and has had the best of everything from the very beginning. Even that might not guarantee success, but that's about as good as you're going to get to a guarantee. That's why they're letting the rest of us fucking die out in these public lands so that when we both graduate from community college or UC or Yale or Harvard, the one that graduated from Harvard's got a massive leg up. And guess what? Egbert needs that massive leg up. Otherwise, he ain't going to do shit. And you who are hungry and lean and mean and, 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 and honed on the streets, you're not going to be given those same advantages because if you had one-tenth of that, you fucking sell right past Egbert. Right. Egbert would be signing your shoes, checking your oil. Right. Egbert became a judge. That, mm-hmm. exactly. So that's why, right, guys? Yep. That's it. So that's why. We got to fucking... <laughs> wow, we have a lot of work to do. We, we do. We do have a lot of work to do, and it comes from all of us taking ownership of... Our citizenship. Right. I actually think that. I've been thinking about like making an American church. Yeah, where, I like that. Where the idea is is that we learn how to appreciate. Even if you're not given it properly or you have you don't see it yet, you understand how much power you really have as an American citizen and it means something to you that you decide I do want to pay taxes. I agree. And you know what I agree with, Chuman? <laughs> when you say that we are us citizens, we are the stock with the shareholders. 
right. of America. We really are. This is our country. And if we can really organize and get together, like you do things like you gentlemen are doing, right. we could take the power back, bro. We have the power. We could. We just we gotta, need to we, leverage it. We got to fix gerrymandering and we got to start voting. That's yep. it. Hey, Frankie, yep. when you when are you going to start running for office? You know, people say that to me all the time. I don't care about most things, so I think I'd just, you know, be a bad politician. His political <laughs> handler told him to answer these questions like that as he gets set up for uh, state rep. He's, right. he's running for state rep. Ah, oh, politics? I've, I think the worst. <laughs> yeah, I've never thought yeah. about it. Never, never, never. Whoa, 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 whoa. Politics questions get routed a different way. Yeah. <laughs> I was told to run interference on this. You guys, <laughs> listen, you, man, I want to say. his intentions. Just <laughs> such a great. You know what? Something I was going to say earlier that I will mention right now before we get off is. And it's something like Jamie said, and I think that. Got, you have to be incarcerated and gone through the system to understand this, and I say it all the time, Chumon. Yeah. The county jail system, what they put you through is set up for you to take a deal and get the fuck out of there as right. soon as possible. That's right. why people will plead guilty to shit. They'll take deals that you would never take because by the time you're wrung out, and choke the fuck out and freezing cold from being moved onto the roof in a cell with 10 other guys, smelling ass, rats, no food. You want it, you'll take any deal. You've been squeezed into taking whatever they give you. And when people from the outside go, well, they don't have this. Well, they've got a pillow. They've got a blanket. They get their fresh air time. They've uh, get law library. They get you know they they want to dress it up like these guys right. have everything they need to sit this through and fight their case out, and that's not the case, man. It's like the, the they they're strongholding you in one, way more ways than one, and that's one of them that really burns me out, dude. They set you up in that fucking county jail that they're gonna press you until you take something, right? Yeah, it's crazy. But listen, you guys, I learned so much today, man. Jesus Christ. Off of this, the dude. twin pillars of justice. Dude, you guys are doing important fucking work, man. Do uh, One at a time, why don't you guys just let us know where you can be found. If people have questions, they want to contact you guys. How do we do that? I'll start. I'm, at, uh, I'm on the website, Cal State Long Beach. My email is up there. Um, Phone number to reach me. Uh, also, check out the organization that Frankie and I started, CCBA, C-S-I-B-A. The website is www.ccba.org. You can read all about what we're doing, um, how you can become an attorney, you know, support systems for that. Um, other than that, yeah, Project Rebound at uh, Cal State Long Beach. We'd love to have you. If you're coming out and you want to keep going with your college education, uh, look us up. We'll take care of you. That was Jamie yeah. speaking, just for the people that were listening. They didn't. Yes. That was Jamie. Okay, Frankie? Yeah, um, Frankie Guzman. I'm, I'm an attorney at the National Center for Youth Law. Uh, you can find my info on uh, www.youthlaw.org. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but don't really check it. And I have a Twitter. Somebody handles that for me also. So Whoa, <laughs> ah, real politics. Yeah. <laughs> they guy, took no, my yeah, Twitter I'm, away. <laughs> I'm old school, man. I don't, really, I don't really like social media a whole lot, you know, and I'm pretty private. Um, you know, I, I'm social, but private, if that, that makes any sense. Um, you know, I like to know, but once I know you, then it's, it's go hard, you know? Right. Um, yeah, but, um, you know, youthlaw.org, that's the, our website. Uh, and then Jamie said, us www.csiba.org is our, uh, website for our, uh, system involved bar association. And for all your listeners, just know that, um, no matter the crime you committed, you're still eligible to be an attorney. It's just, you know, it's a little bit of the, the navigating the, the, the web, um, the tangled web, but we're here to help and we're here to, you know, to be the example and, and, 
to be a resource for, for folks that, that are serious about becoming a part of this very elite uh, profession. But, you know, if we can do it, you can do it. And, you know, you're 100%. not alone. 100%. Look us up. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Hey, guys, thank you so much, man, for taking the time on a Saturday to come yeah. in and share with our guests and us and teach us a lot, man. Thank yeah. you both. Thank you for having us. Any, are you plugging anything, Steve? I am plugging uh, Underground Scholars. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. Listen to these guys. Reach out, man, if you want more information. www.supermaxhardware.com. Buy some gear. Support us. Keep your eyes open for Hard to Kill. And always listen to The Hard Luck Show on Mondays and Thursdays. All right. And uh, I just want to say, Ovando Bowen, LLP. We wear braids to court. We'll fucking represent you, present you, and your enemies will resent you. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you also, uh, Chumahan underscore for my poetry. Um, and somebody's putting it on shirts now, so you can actually buy a, a shirt with my fucking words on it. Damn. You want to get laid? Get, get a shirt. Get a shirt. Uh, Sean. Speaking of shirts. Uh, whose oil are you checking next yes. week? checking my own oil. <laughs> okay. Uh, hard luck t-shirts. We still got hard those, luck right? t-shirts. We do twenty six dollars. Get 26 one. Bucks. Twenty six bucks. Twenty six bucks. Yeah, hard luck t-shirts. Okay, what else? Hits up. That's no, it. That's it. What, do you have a shout out for introverts or anything like that? Sure. <laughs> that's your shout out. <laughs> yeah, there's your shout out. Hey guys, um, I want you to both know that uh, you got an open invitation here. Carte Blanche. You guys, we'd love to reconvene sometime. Uh, get caught up. You guys have anything new? Reach out to us. We're here. We support you. And yep. we're about it, man. Yep. So, you know, consider us your friends. And, and we're here. And let's build, man. Till the next time. Right thank on. Thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Like we do about this time, you guys. Thanks again. And adios, amigos, from the Hard Luck Show. Mm-hmm.